Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 81, Revelation 11, verse 1, part 3. In our last podcast, we were discussing the marked difference between the sanctuary, in Greek, the nous, and the temple, in Greek, the hieron. We learned that the word nous, sanctuary, is used exclusively throughout the book of Revelation. The word hieron, or temple, is never, ever used. Thus, all such references should be translated as sanctuary and not temple. Sadly, the common biblical translations are super misleading and unfortunately have led to many fictions. One of the major end times fictions comes from the inaccurate translation of nous, sanctuary, throughout the Revelation narrative and throughout much of the New Testament as the temple, Hieron. Sadly, those who do not let the Spirit speak as he desires change his words to fit their fictional notions. That said, let's pick up with this major fiction. But let's keep in mind that we are still only on the first of the three-part command to measure, and that is the measurement of the sanctuary. Fiction alert, fiction alert. A third Jewish temple? As previously mentioned, at the time of the revelation, the Jewish temple had been demolished, completely obliterated by the Romans. As Jesus prophesied, not one stone was left upon another. Therefore, we can be certain that the Spirit is not referring to the actual physical sanctuary in the temple grounds. With that said, it is proffered by far too many teachers that the Spirit must be speaking about a third Jewish temple that in the future will be built in Jerusalem, allowing the Jews to once again conduct their formal service of worship centered on animal sacrifice. These teachers completely ignore the fact that the Spirit intentionally utilized the present tense and not the future tense in speaking of those who are now worshiping. Thus, it is not something of which we are looking toward the future, waiting for it to occur. These teachers, however, run amok with their religious licentiousness and create a fiction that has seduced many. Truth be told, there is a group in Israel called the Temple Institute, and they are preparing for the time when they are allowed or permitted to build this third temple on the Temple Mount, where the Islamic Dome of the Rock currently stands. This institute has fashioned sacrificial bowls, a menorah, and they have even bred the very rare red heifers for sacrifice. Preparations have undoubtedly been made. In fact, it is proffered by many that as a part of the famed peace treaty, the Antichrist helps the Jews complete the building of the third temple. They arrive at this understanding by quoting the verse that says, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will take his seat in the temple of God and declare that he is God. Once again, however, these experts ignore the code entirely and distort what the Spirit has communicated. Let's look at the typical translation of the verse which they rely on for their basis of their fiction, and then we will look at how it is actually rendered 
in the code by the Spirit of God. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 11. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all powers and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. With that translation, I get it. It looks forward. I can understand how they conclude that we should be expecting a third Jewish temple to be built for the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, will take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. But let's look at this passage through the lens of the code, how the Spirit actually said it. And let us never forget the Spirit is precise and intentional in all he does. May no one deceive you by any means, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is caused to be revealed, the son of destruction, who even now chooses to be opposing and now chooses to be exalting himself above all that is now caused to being called God or object of worship, so that he sits in the sanctuary of God, now displaying himself that he now is God. Do you not now remember that while I am now being with you, I had told you these things, and do you now know what is now restraining him now, so that in his time he will be caused to be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already now choosing to work. Only he who is now restraining will do so until he chooses to be taken out of the way. And when, or at that time, that lawless one will cause to be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is now in accord with the activity of Satan, with all powers and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are now choosing to be perishing because they did not choose to receive the love of the truth so as to be caused to be saved. Hopefully by now you're understanding that choosing to ignore the code leads to some very bad end times philosophies, fictions, that cannot be supported by what the Spirit actually said. One, it is clear that this is a layered text that deals with the lawless one, the son of destruction, the man we call the Antichrist, literally the son of the beast, whose name is destruction. But that is a very small slice of the cake. With the rampant use of the present tense, the biggest layer deals with the beast, the spirit that even now chooses to be opposing and now chooses to be exalting himself above all that is now caused to being called God or object of worship and now displaying himself that he now is God. Clearly, we are not waiting for this to happen. This is happening. And it has been happening every moment of now since this was communicated. Two, this spirit now sits in the sanctuary, the nows. He does not sit in the temple, the hieron. His seat, 
which is a picture of where his authority is derived, is in the holy place where the priests of God are even now worshiping. Thus, the spirit has even now infiltrated the courtyard of the priests. Again, the sanctuary is the seat or the origination of his authority. So how are we to understand this practically? Absolutely nothing to do with a third temple. Despite its gross misuse by many, this passage has nothing to do with a third Jewish temple. Absolutely nothing. The Holy Spirit is revealing to us details about how the Spirit, whose name is destruction, is operating even today in the realm of Christianity. In 1 John 4, 3, the Spirit told us that the Spirit of the Antichrist, this Spirit is the beast, is already at work in the world. And as we just read, the mystery of lawlessness is already now choosing to work. Thus, we can understand that he is doing his work from within the realm of Christianity in its very heart from within the sanctuary, a strategy of infiltration. The spirit has infiltrated the religion of Christianity. In so doing, he has presented himself to the masses in Yahweh's household as the true Messiah. And according to this text, he is even now being worshiped. And based on where he derives his authority, he is associated with those who belong to the sanctuary, the priests of God, many of whom have apparently accepted his claim to be the Messiah and who give him his seat of authority. Jesus demands that our relationship with him is 100% by grace through faith. And faith is a now thing because he has already taken away the sins of the world. Sin is no longer an issue between the sons of God and Jesus. It is just an issue that exists with the slaves in his household. After all, Yahweh has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For Jesus was made manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In fact, our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. For his own sake, he wipes out our sins, declaring that he will not remember them any longer. As such, when he returns for those who are now choosing to look to him for salvation, it will be without reference to sin because he was caused to be made an offering bearing the sins for many. But this false Messiah, though not yet having been revealed in the flesh, but only in spirit, per 1 John 4, 3, is even now displaying himself as being God. Thus he talks grace, grace, but he always throws sin back into the mix and uses sin as a means to control people with duty, guilt, religious responsibilities, and shame. This has led to a system that, although it touts grace, it is actually built upon legalism, subtle and blatant, and is therefore ruled through the means of judgment and condemnation. In fact, the religion of Christianity is the original cancel culture. Just ask anyone who has done one of the bad sins, especially those in ministry. Ironically, the world today is just following the example set for them by those who rule in this religion. Hence, the Spirit even now chooses to be opposing the truth that our lives are to be lived by grace through faith. And faith is a now thing. And commingling legalism with grace in any amount, no matter how minuscule, this false Messiah now chooses to be exalting himself above all that is now caused to being called God. In effect, he is declaring to his followers that he is the way, the truth, and the one who dictates the kind of life that they should live. Yes, this spirit takes his authority from within the sanctuary and is now displaying himself as one who now is God.
yet if our sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west, then sin is no longer an issue between us and God. Therefore, it should also not be an issue between believers, and it should have absolutely no power in and over the lives of those in God's household. Therefore, none of the manipulative devices, duty, guilt, religious responsibilities, shame, judgment, and condemnation should ever be existent in our lives. The sons of God should live in unrestrained freedom. Yet with these powerful manipulations, this false Messiah has created all these ways for people to fight sin, judge sin, condemn sin, overcome sin. And he has created many ways other than by grace through faith for believers to be approved before God and before man, all as a means of receiving Yahweh's blessings in this world and the blessings of men by what they do for God. It is no wonder the Spirit said two times that if anyone should preach to you a different gospel, even if it is an angel from heaven, contrary to that which has been preached, he is to be accursed or literally damned. Given this context of this angel who has preached to all of us a different gospel and all the preachers of men who have adopted this other gospel, this damnation, this cursing is more than understandable. We must remember that Jude in Revelation targets those within the visible church with a message which separates those who stand only on the goodness of God from those who are trying very hard to be good for God. There is a fundamental difference between a person who is living for God and one who is willing to let God live in and through them. This is a difference which plays out in life and death, in those who are now choosing to be coming out of the great tribulation and those who will choose to endure great wrath. The point is that although some things have yet to be fulfilled in this passage in 2 Thessalonians, the actual revealing of the man of lawlessness and the letting go by the one who is now restraining the beast, make no mistake, this false Messiah is even now operating from within the sanctuary, and the masses of those in the religion of Christianity are even now worshiping him. Therefore, this passage is not in any way pointing us forward to a third Jewish temple. That is nothing more than another end times fiction, a very dangerous fiction from within the sanctuary. We must ask how this spirit of the beast could take his authority, his seat, from within the courtyard of the priest, from within the sanctuary where only the priests are permitted to enter. How does that mesh with the priest being a symbol of the chosen of God? Keep in mind, this is about infiltration, and this is about division, the ultimate separation. We will get into this in exacting detail in the third part of the command to measure, those who are now worshiping in the sanctuary. But in short, God will make another division among his chosen ones, among his priests. Yahweh will claim possession and ownership via the measurement with the reed that is like a rod only, only of those priests who are now worshiping in the sanctuary. Even though there are many priests who have the right to minister in the sanctuary, many of which are busy ministering in the temple at large, they will not be measured as belonging to Yahweh. One of these priests will ultimately be this man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, who will be revealed and found amongst those who rule the religion of Christianity from within the sanctuary. The death of the temple. We touched on this previously, but due to the fanfare offered this fiction, it's probably important that we review this once again. In the book of Hebrews, 
the spirit makes it emphatically and categorically clear that the old system of Levitical temple worship was made obsolete by God and that he now says a new, a reference to the better or the new covenant, he made old or obsolete the first, that which now is caused to be making old or obsolete and is even now aging away, literally becoming senile, near to disappear or vanish. Keep in mind, the book of Hebrews was written shortly before the Romans in 70 AD wiped the temple and the entire Jewish system of sacrificial worship off the face of the earth. Again, the Spirit is emphatic on this point. The old system will not be resurrected because made old or obsolete is rendered in the perfect active indicative. The perfect tense means that it's a done deal, a decision God has made which will not be reversed or ever undone, a decision which has ongoing consequences or effect. The work of making the old system of worship obsolete was perfect. Indicative mood means that when God made the old system of worship old or obsolete, his decision is conclusive, certain, realized, and non-retractable. It is a statement of fact. Moreover, the word translated near, or in some translations, ready, is the picture of something being squeezed out or throttled in an attempt to get out the very last few drops. At the time of the writing of the book of Hebrews, the last drops of this old system were being throttled or squeezed out. And finally, the word translated to disappear or vanish is surprisingly not a verb, but a noun. Thus, this old system of temple worship was now becoming obsolete. It was now growing old and soon would be in a state of non-existence that could only be defined by its ongoing and continual absence. Hence the word disappear or vanish. Yes, God really did make the old system obsolete. And that is a statement of fact and a statement on its existence. It has been rendered non-existent or exists in a state of non-existence. Therefore, it would be a huge, gigantic jump, inconsistent with the Codex, to conclude that either passage, the one in Second Thessalonians regarding the Antichrist taking a seat in the sanctuary, or John being commanded to measure the sanctuary, infers that a third Jewish temple and its system of sacrificial worship would once again be rebuilt without a temple. There is also a surprising passage in the book of Hosea that reinforces this truth. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, referring to the pillar of the sanctuary, which Jesus referred to in the letter to Philadelphia, without ephod, referring to the Levitical priesthood via the ephod worn by the high priest, or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek Yahweh their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to Yahweh and to his goodness in the latter days. In the latter days, the children of Israel will seek their God and David their king, a reference in code to Jesus, the righteous branch of David. But they are without sacrifice, without the pillar of the sanctuary, without the ephod or the Levitical priesthood. Hence, they are and will be without a functioning temple. Yes, many will return and seek Yahweh their God, but it will not be in a temple structure. For Jesus has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary in the true tent or tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. 
And in this sanctuary, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. And they shall come in fear to Yahweh and to his goodness in the latter days. Moreover, if God is the one who abandoned the temple and made it obsolete, if someone did try and rebuild a physical structure, it could not be the, quote, sanctuary of God. For he, God, would not have authored it, nor would he dwell in it. It would just be a temple and a sanctuary of man. Well, let's stop here. And in our next podcast, we'll pick up with the second part of the measurement and the measurement of the altar. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.